You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily podcast on the Arkansas Razorbacks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. I am your host, John Neighbors. I am also the host of Out of Bounds. You can catch every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4 on 1037thebuzz and 1037thebuzz.com. It's going to be a very special podcast today because football season going on, big matchup between Arkansas and Texas A&M going on this Saturday. So we like to do a lot of joint podcasts, and this week is no different as we go ahead and welcome in Cole Thompson, who is the host of the Lock on Aggies. Really appreciate you joining us, Cole. How you doing, man? John, I'm doing good. This is another great game in the Southwest Classic history. This is a game that I've been previewing. And no matter what you see of these two teams, the one thing I've noticed over the past few years is that you can never count on Arkansas. No matter what their record is going into this game, you throw the game plan out because of this game. And I wonder, and we can probably talk about this a little bit as well, Every year it's been played in Arlington, games have been close. And that's something that I think is really interesting when you look at how Arkansas has performed the last few seasons. Yeah, it's kind of a weird game every single year. And it, it's funny because it's such a winning streak for Texas A&M. Razorback fans, like, they have a long losing streak to Alabama. They haven't beaten Alabama since 2006. But it's almost like Razorback fans are like, eh, there's no shame in that because like, everybody loses to Alabama. But like Razorback fans kind of find a little shame in losing to A&M on this long losing streak. And, and it has less to do with like, they feel like they're above A&M. It's more to do with the fact that they've been so close and, and a lot of these games probably should have won, but whether it's Arkansas choking it away or Texas A&M making the plays, it doesn't matter. It's been a very frustrating game for Razorback fans, especially since Texas A&M has joined the SEC. I got to agree with that. And here's the crazy thing. Since the game's moved to Arlington three times, it has gone to overtime and the game's been won by a touchdown. Five times the game has been won by a touchdown. Only one time has the game not been won by seven points or fewer. And that was in 2016 when A&M was ranked number 10, they won 45-24. So, I mean, at some point, if you're a Razorback fan, you have to kind of just be like, bro, what are we doing? And if you're A&M, you have to go at the same time, bro, what are we doing? But for two very different reasons of, bro, what are we doing? It just seems like either Arkansas is playing their best football against the Aggies or A&M is just flat out playing bad against Arkansas. I mean, I don't really know what the answer is there half the time. Well, it's funny because you brought up the 2016 uh, game. I don't know if you remember it, but I, I laughed because I saw one of the one of the few things you'll ever see in college football in that game. The Razorbacks found a way to have a 19-play, 92-yard drive that lasted nine minutes and 40 seconds and resulted in no points. Like, I do remember that, actually. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I, I look back at that game, and I laugh at that because I'm like, you have to try really hard <laughs> to take up nearly 10 minutes a clock on a tw- like nearly 20-play drive and not get any points, but... It's kind of just been the weirdness of this this Razorback and Aggie game. And, and even, like, the past two seasons, man, like, Arkansas has been – they were so bad. Like, they were the worst team that the SEC has seen in a long time. But even then, A&M won by a touchdown in 2018, and then last year they only won by four. So it's like even when Arkansas has just been an absolute atrocity of a football team, it's still been close for some reason. And it makes me wonder, is it more – I've talked to other Aggie media members and they kind of feel this way. Is it more just that game being in Arlington and A&M not really wanting that game 
to be in Arlington, so they don't really get hyped for it, and they don't really uh, maybe don't care as much. Or is it just like coincidental? Like, why has this game been close, especially when most years Arkansas had no business being even close to Texas A and M? Well, I think the biggest thing is that Jimbo Fisher kind of addressed this past week in the media conference, and he said that this game was meant for the alumni more than anything else, and that's why you can't count this game out. Whether this game is played in Arlington, he brought up the fact that this is a game that kind of prepares the team to play in a bowl game or in a college football playoff situation because they are traveling away from the fan base. And it kind of is a middle ground between College Station and Fayetteville, even though it is a little bit further for Fayetteville fans to come on down to Dallas in Arlington. But it's one of those games where that neutral site location kind of helps them out if they are going to play in a bowl game, if they are going to go to the SEC championship, if they are going to go to those moments. Because of when you play in a neutral location, it gives both teams kind of a fair advantage to not really have to worry about the fan base kind of getting involved because of nine out of 10, you're looking at, if not a 50, 50 split, at least I would say a 60, 40 split. So you have two fan bases really cheering on two powerhouse programs in the SEC of the past kind of building up this, you know, this rivalry that once was super exciting in the Southwest conference back in the eighties and the nineties. And you're bringing it to a new location, but yeah, I mean, that's a big, big thing. I mean, are a and fans just not wanting to travel that weekend? Because of, you know, when you look at the games when a and first started in the SEC in 2012, they hosted the Hogs and they won 58-10. to But then when they went up to Fayetteville, they only won 45-33. So it's not like, oh, home field advantage or home field advantage for the Hogs means that we're going to get a big-time win because it both times – AM got wins, but only one was really convincing. So that's always a weird question to ask. That's always a weird question to bring up. I do wonder, though, a lot of the times, does the, the fact that Jerry Jones has ties to Arkansas make them want to play better for the GOAT? I mean, I don't really understand. I mean, anything Jerry Jones does at this point kind of makes a lot of sense. So maybe that's why Arkansas kind of shows up for Jerry. We'll continue our discussion with Cole Thompson of Locked On Aggies here in just a second. But, folks, it's, it's been a crazy time for all of us. The weather is changing. It's getting a little colder. But, you know, we're still on the go. So many things are going on in our lives. And sometimes we just need to relax, kick back, and enjoy ourselves a little bit. Have a little me time. And there's no better way to do it than with Coors Light because it's made to chill. It's the beer for not only watching sports but for just hanging out, which is what we all enjoy doing, right? Hanging out, watching sports. It's all about us, and it's about me time. And Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or team just to drink beer, whether you're alone or whether you're with your buddies, you can always make it happen. And the best thing about it is that Coors Light is always cold and refreshing and it's made to chill just like the phrase goes. And it's the one I choose anytime I need to unwind. So when you need to hit the reset button, you just reach for that beer that's made to chill, which is Coors Light. And you can get it in your deli- in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You are locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. Yeah, and I think Arkansas just enjoys the game a lot more uh, because, you know, they don't have the connections into Texas as much as they once did when they were in the Southwest Conference. So there's that factor. And it's also, let's be honest, I mean, you're playing in Jerry World. Like, I mean, how many people would love to play a game in Jerry World? And the fact that they get to go and there's a lot of, there's a huge 
fan base and also uh, alumni base there in Dallas for Razorbacks in Arkansas. So I think it just like it makes the most sense for Arkansas to play down there. But I totally understand why the Aggies do not like they they have a nice stadium as it is like theirs is like half a billion dollars or whatever like they they have a nice stadium they they don't need the the Dallas market or at least the, even the Texas market as much because they're in Texas so I totally get it and it's just funny because when every time I've gone down there I've enjoyed it I've enjoyed the trip and I enjoy you know watching the games and all that but. I just have this feeling, and I don't even think it's a feeling. I think it's pretty much a fact at this at this point. Once twenty twenty four hits, that it's over. Like they're not going to be doing it's a series over. there anymore, which is fine because I think it should be more of a home and home. And because to be honest, dude, I've never been to College Station, and I like to you know check out other SEC venues. And Arkansas has only been at College Station one in twenty twelve when Arkansas had John L. Smith. We all know how that went. You just mentioned it, but. <sighs> And this year we can't like you can't really do it because of COVID and all that stuff at least as much. So I'll actually be looking forward to it. I hope it gets back to a home and home because College Station is an intriguing uh, area and place and game that I'd like to see the Razorbacks play. So hopefully it happens again. There's nothing like it. I'll give it that. But I remember when I was covering Alabama um, for a website and I was and I went up to Arkansas. Arkansas is not a bad stadium to play. It's just, it's a little bit smaller than the Brian Dennings and the Kyle Fields of the world. That's the only difference. But this, this game is going to go back to home v. home series in 2024. I, I mean, the way that AM fans complain about it, you would be so shocked how many AM fans just literally complain about that three and a half hour drive to a fun big time city uh, to go to watch their team usually play a close game against an SEC opponent. You would think that it was like just pure agony for them. So this game will be moved back eventually. Yeah, and I and I do enjoy it. I do I do think it's funny too cuz we actually talked about this on my radio show today uh, just about the Aggies in general and uh they're they're an interesting group, needless to say. I think that's the nicest way that you could probably put it, but they It is a very nice way to put it. Yeah, like I just I don't understand all this stuff like I even feel like in most fan bases, everyone's got traditions and everyone's got stuff that may, I mean, calling the hogs is weird. Let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's a little over the top, but it's like if somebody came to a Razorback game for the first time and they're like, how do you call the hogs? Because I want to do it too. It's like, oh, you do this. And then 30 seconds later, they know how to do it. But with Texas A&M, I feel like there's so much in depth when it comes to what they do and how they do it and why they do it. It's almost like a chore. It's almost like you have to go to a class like try to figure out what all the stuff's going on and it's like fascinating but most people find it kind of strange especially like in this day and age so like how do you feel about it because I know that uh, Aggies probably look at it as just a ah, it's you know it's just part of tradition and that's fine but from the outsider's perspective it just seems like a lot of work just to go to a I game and chant stuff I will say it is tradition, and I mean, there, there's nothing like the midnight yell. And, and I did not go to A&M personally, but I do have my Texas roots here growing up literally about 40 minutes away from it, living in Houston now, covering the team for a profession. I mean, I have my roots, so I've followed it. But A&M does have this thing called Fish Camp, and it is for freshmen at the very beginning of their freshman year where they do go to College Station and they learn the chance. They learn the history of the football program. They learn the history of the culture of the 12th man. And so when it is a game day, it actually isn't that weird for AM alum and AM fans because if they actually do learn everything you have to know about what it means to truly be an Aggie. But I will say th there's a lot of tradition at AM. There's so many that you can sometimes forget to count. 
I will say that the best tradition and one of the best traditions in college football is the midnight yell. Any single time that there's a home game and you can go to a midnight yell, I automatically recommend you do it, whether you are an alum or not. I was a student at Alabama going up to cover the game uh, in 2015, and I actually went to the midnight yell to actually just cover it as a student reporter at Alabama, and it was something so unique, so different, so awesome that I do recommend anyone who knows an Aggie, get them to take you to a midnight yell. You will never forget it or regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah, actually, uh, when Arkansas and A&M played each other in Fayetteville in 2013, uh, I was a student there at the U of A, and I was, uh, we, we, went, we were part of the crashing party of uh, the uh, midnight yell. We got there and just, I mean, obviously we were outnumbered, but we had like megaphones or uh, loud, you know loudspeakers and stuff. So I've seen it before and I didn't participate or anything like that. They probably didn't like me too much, but uh, it was still, it was still interesting. And I think that that's also what makes it interesting with Texas A&M is that Jimbo Fisher is a seven and a half million dollar man, which I feel like every time you mention him, it's like you have to mention his salary just because it comes along with it. And I'm sure A&M fans are tired of it, but He's in year three. Uh, they, they have a position to possibly finish second in the West. At least they look like they're a team that could definitely do that. We'll know a lot more about it this weekend. But I just don't – I'm wondering about Jimbo Fisher. Like, I know the expectations are there. He's won a national championship before. He's, he's getting paid a lot of money, and the recruiting's there and all that. But what's really the Aggie expectation for him? Like, do they expect a national championship? Like, do they expect that here soon? Is it more – progression and just kind of get better and better as years go on. I mean, what is the feel for Jimbo Fisher in year three there in college station? So for me personally, just on the outside looking in when he was hired, they gave him $75 million immediately win, lose 10 years, $75 million. So as an outsider who still wasn't covering the team, you just look at that and go, what are they doing? What in the hell are they doing? But you really think about it. It's smart because if he's able to develop the team that he wants, but they did go 18 and nine in his first two seasons and they had trips to the Gator Bowl and to the Texas Bowl. So those aren't really ideal situations while Dan Mullen, who's making significantly less money at a same program such as Florida has taken the team to two New Year's six bowls in his first two seasons. But you look at this season, more importantly, they were set up for success really early on with the games against Fresno State, Colorado, uh, Abilene Christian. They had South Carolina on their schedule. They had Vanderbilt on their schedule. So it looked like they were going to be in true contention for the SEC. COVID happened. Instead, it actually probably plays into their favor for Fisher because he gets his first top five win at AM and his second top 25 win including that seven-overtime game against LSU in 2018, to really boost his resume. Now, this year, I think no matter what, if you're an AM fan or not, throw it out the window. I mean, it's a 10-game schedule in the SEC, the toughest division. You were playing Florida. You're playing Alabama. You didn't know what, um, what definitely Auburn was going to be. You didn't know what uh, Georgia was going to be, what Florida was going to be. So you have to throw all that out this upcoming season. But next year will be the fourth season with Jimbo Fisher. It'll be his fourth recruiting class, which means the entire roster now is a Jimbo Fisher-led roster. This is where the pressure, I think, really starts to come in. This is where we brought you in on this amount of money to bring us to glory, and we're still finishing 7-5. and five. We're still finishing 8-4. and four. That is not a number 
that we're paying you for. We're paying for 11 and 1, 10 and 2. And when you look at what AM has and the facilities and what they have with the boosters and what they have with everyone around, they can provide the access to make this team one of the better teams in college football. So even if they do finish 9 and 1 this year, the expectation is still going to be high for him to continue to develop this roster because if he was known as a recruiter, he was known as a quarterback guru, Kellen Mond really hasn't stepped up in the way that I think a lot of people wanted him to under Fisher. And now they're still always having conversations of, do we need to move to Haynes King? Do we need to move to Zach Calzada? Is Mond really the guy to take us to that next level? It won't really matter this year as much as it will next year. But for you guys, I want to bring this up on the other side. I mean, Sam Pittman was such a weird hire. I, I, I literally look back and think, okay, here were some names that probably should be in the mix for Arkansas. And then it was, oh, it's Sam Pittman. Who? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Sam actually ended the streak of SEC consecutive losses. So when you look at Sam Pittman's culture, what has he done for the Razorbacks that just makes him stand out more so than Brett Bielema ever did, John L. Smith ever did, and more importantly, than Chad Morris ever did? We'll continue our discussion here with Cole Thompson of Locked On Aggies in just a second. But first, Built Bar is what I use to make sure that I am getting my protein and also getting my starvation satisfied when it's something really easy to do. And the great thing about it is they have 18 different flavors to choose from. So say if you're not the biggest fan of the banana bread, we'll try the raspberry. If you're not the fan of the coconut almond, then try the toffee almond. Maybe you're not a big fan of orange, try peanut butter brownie. They have so many different flavors to choose from, and they're 100% covered in chocolate. You're saying, how can that be healthy? Well, because they're low-calorie, low-sugar, but high-protein and high-fiber, so it's great for all different types of diets. And the best thing about it is right here on this podcast, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED, on you have 20 percent off your next order doesn't matter how much you order it's 20 percent off you can get a bundle you can get one for the entire family you can get one for the entire office however many you want do it all in one order enter the promo code locked on and you'll get 20 percent off your next order again promo code locked on for 20 percent off at builtbar.com you are locked on razorbacks your daily arkansas razorbacks podcast I think one, he actually wants to be here. Uh, I think that's like a big part of it. Sam Pittman, this is his dream job. And, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, but it's true. Like he even said it on Feinbaum just the other day. He's like, "Eh, it's going to cost me some money, but this is going to be my last job. This is all he wants. This is where he wants to be. And so that mindset is appreciative from Razorback fans because Chad Morris didn't want to be here at Arkansas. He didn't even move his family up here. Like it was such a strange thing. And so... I think fans just enjoy the fact that he wants to be here. And when they hired him, uh, Razorback fans had some familiarity with him because he was the offensive line coach at Arkansas under Brett Bielma for a few years. But, you know, I think most people were kind of understanding in in the Razorback fans' perspective, at least here in the state of Arkansas, because they said, listen, we just went – we've gone 2-10 the past two seasons. Uh, We got three other coaching jobs that are open in this conference. Nobody's really – you know, calling up Arkansas to come here. You know, it's not like big name coaches are saying, oh yeah, I can't wait to take over that situation. Like they were in a bad way. But the thing about Sam Pittman is that he was the right guy at the time. He was a guy who has SEC experience. He's a guy that every coach loves coaching with. Every player loves playing for. He knows the area. He knows that it's going to be a challenge. He knows that uh, you know what Arkansas's limitations are in recruiting, but also how they can recruit. 
Like he knows all these things. And honestly, when they hired him, I, I like to toot my own horn on this, but two weeks before they hired him, I actually tweeted out that he's who I wanted. Like I wanted Arkansas to hire him because of all the reasons I just listed. But the caveat was his staff. You know, he can be a fine coach, but when you're completely and totally inexperienced as a head coach, you better have a great staff. And when he assembled the staff that he has with Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles and all these guys, I said, okay, like this could work because he has a, a guy, a bunch of guys that have, again, SEC experience, but very successful at every level that they've been at. And getting Barry Odom, I think, was the biggest factor, as we've seen with Arkansas's defense so far this year, that. He's he's just been able to really let these guys coach. He doesn't micromanage. He doesn't, you know, say, "Well, I'm the I was an offensive coordinator before, so therefore I want the offense to run through me." Like, no, he is a guy that has managed offensive lines his entire life. And if you think about it, when it comes to the starting guys and all that, there's more offensive linemen on the field normally than any other position, and you have to manage that. It's a collective unit. You have to be all on the same page and they're so close together. So, Everyone started thinking that's like maybe this could work because if he can just manage it and let these coaches coach and do what they need to do, then not only will they be successful, but other coaches will want to come coach under him because he allows them that freedom because that's what every coach wants. So uh, all these factors Sean, going into it, I think that he's just done a really good job of of managing that and putting it all together and honestly spurring some excitement in a very blue-collar way where he ain't flashy – but he's getting the job done, and Arkansas, considering what they went through the past few years, they, they've needed this really bad. Man, I am so happy you just said all that stuff because I actually spoke on Pittman earlier this week saying the exact same thing. It's not that I didn't think that he was a good hire or a bad hire, but one thing that I've always said was it's time to give special team coordinators a little bit more involvement or position coaches a little bit more involvement as head coaches when going through the process because of what it allows – is it allows you to have your offense coordinator control the offense, your defense coordinator control the defense, and you just kind of pick and prod a little bit in every single situation without really taking command of every single spot. And that's exactly what Pittman's doing. And I think that when you look at Arkansas's defense, who's playing lights out, they lead the SEC in interceptions. I think they're second in pass deflections. They lead the team, uh, the SEC in interceptions return for touchdowns. They're a team that's allowing Odom, who, in my opinion, was fired for wrong reasons at Mizzou, never given the full success to be really that great of a team. Uh, and now he gets to go to Arkansas, where he was revered in the SEC before that as a great defensive mind. And now he's turning that program around. So, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about it too, but – when you look, especially in that secondary and in that back seven, what have you seen from them under Odom with players who were there in the system last year that you never saw uh, with guys like Chavis and with other guys who took over the role at DC? I think honestly, it's just, it's the simplified way that they've approached it. Um, it's the same players, but the thing is, is like recruiting wise, if you look at recruiting rankings, you know, Arkansas actually had really good recruiting as far as stars and all that in the secondary. Uh, wide receivers was always really good. They did secondary guys that were really good, but uh, they've always lacked the depth. But this year, you're starting to see some of that talent be utilized in the right way. Like last year under Chavis and Chad Morris, like Jalen Catalan, who's a phenomenal safety, he didn't even sniff the field last year. Like they said, hey, he wasn't good enough. It's like, what? It just shows you how, how different it is now. And the secondary, and Barry Odom has said this many times, 
He's like, I'm not doing anything crazy with my schemes or with my play calling. He's like, I've simplified it. I've just basically said, I'm going to put you guys in a position, play your spots, and go go get the ball. Like, it's as simple as that. And I think that that really simplified type of, of defense is exactly what this team needed, where they're not going to out-talent anybody, I don't think, at least uh, generally speaking. They have some good guys on there, but they just need to be in the right position. And I think lining up and being in right positions at the right time is what has benefited this team so much because they play with confidence. Like, anything that we do, if we are well-prepared, but we also have the understanding of like a simple thing of say, Hey, there's the ball, go get it. You're going to play faster. You're going to play more confident. You're not going to be thinking about, Oh, where should I be? Where should this guy be? Where's he supposed to be? Whatever. It's just simplifying where they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to do it. And I think that that's been the biggest difference, at least in the secondary has been, uh, you know, finding that way and finding a way to make the most out of it just by being very simplified, which is what Arkansas needed. And I think that a lot of defense could, uh, probably take some notes and see exactly how it's done. But there's no doubt that it's been the most improved unit far and away. And I don't see any reason why it doesn't change for the rest of the season. No, I think they're the most improved unit in the SEC for sure. And I think that Barry Odom is talking himself, maybe not into getting a power five head coaching job again, but certainly at least a look at one of the non-power fives. Uh, another player that kind of is brand new to the system is Felipe Franks, who isn't new to the SEC because if he did play, in Florida before Kyle Trask came in and he suffered a season ending injury as a veteran quarterback, just learning a new system under Pittman and Bryles, but still having that veteran talent in a conference that he's not leaving. Do you think that that's really helped out the Razorbacks offense at all? Yeah, it has. I mean, the offense has not been, you know, over, over the top great, but Man, having a transfer, a senior experience guy like Felipe Franks has just been exactly what they've needed because, like, quarterback has been awful the past few years, just like everything else. And, you know, they needed somebody that could have some sort of stability there, and Felipe Franks has provided that. They don't need him to be 300 yards, four touchdowns a game. They'd love it, but they just need him to not turn the ball over and to not flinch and to not, uh, you know, let everything get to you and start throwing, making bad decisions. Like, he's been perfect for what they've needed and uh, honestly, the offense has been, you know, it's not been great, but it's still been solid. Rakeem Boyd's probably been the biggest surprise of why he hasn't really got going. But uh, Franks has been a, a really good addition. And honestly, with Traylon Burks, who's a phenomenal wide receiver, and going to him and Davion Warren's been playing well, they've been getting better and better each game. It's just a matter of they got to get off to a faster start. Like they've been, they've not been going off to fast starts, and that's been killing them, honestly, in, in that regard. So I feel like they'll – the they've been doing a good job of just doing what they're supposed to do and the defense has been get letting them in the games but you know they're gonna have to score points against A&M uh, for sure if they want to get out of there with a victory absolutely and Rakeem Boyd's actually the name that I was really shocked when I saw his stat line going into this game about how little keys played and I thought Kylan Hill being as limited as he was in Mississippi State was terrifying I mean, Boyd is just in the same spot, and both really were big-time names. Boyd, you know, a former transfer to Arkansas. So, I mean, he's very well eclipsed in the SEC as well. The matchup that I look at, though, especially in this game, is going to be the run game. Because you have, I think I think he's a freshman runner um, who's been taking a majority of the carries. He's yet to score a touchdown, and they're going up against a top 40 defense in AM and a top 35 defense against the run what Mike Elko's done for this run team with guys like Michael Clemens, uh, DeMarvin Leal, uh, with uh, Tyrion Johnson, with younger guys such as Bobby Brown, uh, McKinley Jackson, just 
it's a very formidable unit and probably the a the Aggie's strongest unit on the team. Uh, does any of that concern you when you have to rely on Franks probably a little bit more in this game compared to other games where you could probably just have the run game do a little bit more of the carrying and the offense kind of just score consistently a couple points a game? I mean, it's a concern. Arkansas has, uh, you know, they faced a few good defensive fronts. Like Georgia was really good, obviously, and uh, Auburn was pretty good as well. They caused some problems for them. But, uh, you know, it's it's just a matter of how does, how does Felipe and how does – how many guys does he have available to work with? Um, because he does have some weapons there. And I th- again, he makes good decisions. It's just a matter of this offensive line has this offensive line for Arkansas is not great, but they're not bad. Like they're just in the middle, but this is going to be probably their toughest test that they're going to have. And I just, I just, I think we're at the point where Arkansas is just not going to be able to run the ball very effectively against anybody. Like it's just not in the cards this year. If they couldn't do it against Ole Miss, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to do it. So you know, I just think that the I think the offense is going to have its own problems in this game, and it's just a matter of, you know, can you just not have a bunch of three and outs? Like they've started every game so far this year with a three and out. Arkansas's offense has every year or every game this year has been a three and out. So can they can they actually get something going? Can they score points when they're in inside the red zone? That's got to be a factor. Like they just have to they have to make the plays when they're given those plays and given those opportunities because they have they have certainly struggled with it. Hey, I agree. And I think that when you look at AM's side, I, I mean, they're kind of in a weird situation as well because of they don't have a true number one receiver right now. I mean, they have a bunch of guys who are trying to step up in the place of names like Kendrick Rogers, Courtney Davis, who left for the NFL. And then right before the season started, Jamon Osmond opting out. I mean, you're asking Kellen Mond, a guy who already is having his own inner struggles with whatever's going on with him, to work with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores who really aren't at the same level that he is on adaptability, on uh, play calling, on you know, on splits, on uh, on shifts at the at the line of scrimmage, on counter plays, and that's going to be something I think for A and M to where everyone's talking about this being a big time game for A and M to really kind of blow it out because if it's back at home and it's not in Arlington, I'm not sure that's the case because of. Without Caleb Chapman, who was looking like your true number one receiver going into this game uh, for the rest of the year, because if he's out with an ankle injury, you're already down a tight end in Baylor Cup, who has yet to see the action since being a five-star coming into the program. Chase Lane's had moments of of good plays. He's also had moments of weakness. Same with Jalen Preston. Damon Demas, their freshman five-star, has yet to take any significant stats with the first-team offense. And keep in mind, Arkansas's defense is really good and a and struggled against a very average Vanderbilt defense at home this past season. So all jokes aside on Arkansas, I mean, there's no real guarantee that this offense is going to be picking up a lot of plays. And Arkansas leads the SEC in total turnovers. Vanderbilt got four on AM, three coming from Mond on fumbles alone. That scares me if I am an AM fan because if I want to make sure that I don't let the one team that's doing the one thing right this season, and that's causing turnovers, causing plays to end on sour notes, drives that look compelling, and on uh, on a note that ends with the offense of the other team coming out on the field. I'm afraid of that. So I'm wondering if the play calling for AM has to be conservative against this defensive front that in the secondary has been great, in the front seven, been okay, 
but definitely knows how to create turnovers. And Isaiah Spiller and Anaya Smith might be the only two options that don't cause turnovers. Yeah, if the listen, if Texas A&M can run the ball effectively, this game's over. Like it's just that's the way. And that they can. Yeah, and, and like it's just. I think that it's 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 good against the like Arkansas's defense has been pretty solid against the run too, but that being said, it's the pass game has been where their bread and butter is at, and if they can't turn Kellen Mond over, then they're going to struggle. Like that's what Arkansas has done in these games that they've won. Mississippi State they got KJ Costello to throw three interceptions. Matt Corral threw freaking six interceptions. Like you're going to win games when that happens. Uh, Auburn. They didn't turn the ball over as much, but Felipe Franks threw five tu- or four touchdowns in that game. So, you know, it's it's a pretty simple formula for Arkansas. You got to get the quarterback to throw the ball and to get him to turn it over. You do that, and like here's the thing, and I and I said this on the show too. If Arkansas gets three picks in this game against A and M, if they pick the ball off three times, they will win. It, it's it's as simple as that. If they can pick off Kellen Mond, cause him problems and they intercept him three times in this game, Arkansas is going to win. But if they don't have to worry about that because Kellen Mond is just running the ball or running, handing it off and then running it effectively, it won't matter. So it's just a matter of can they be effective in the rushing attack, and if they are, and if they keep the ball out of Arkansas's hands and they have effective drives, uh, it's going to be – not. I wouldn't say it's an easy game for a but it's certainly a winning formula for them. I can see it. John, I mean, let's just be real. Everyone at AM understands a little bit more about Arkansas now. Every one of the Aggies fans understand a little bit more about uh, about the Razorbacks now. Give me your score prediction on this game. How do you think this plays out? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, just for the sake of being a homer, I guess, I'll, I'm going to say Arkansas does it. They pull it off because uh, they, they've been they've ended their SEC losing streak this year. They ended their SEC home losing streak this year. So why not make it a trifecta? End your losing streak against Texas A&M. Uh, A&M's a good team. Uh, but like I said, I just for, for the homer sake of it, I'll say Arkansas wins this game 27-23 to 23 over the Aggies in a late one. That, I'm not going to lie, it, it won't shock me because of the biggest thing is getting pressure on Kellen Mond. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is, no matter what, I wouldn't touch this line. The line going into this game is 12 and a half in favor of the Aggies. I'm not sure you're going to see that. Even if it is not going to be played in Arlington, the biggest thing is, and I've said this for a while now, the reason why the Cleveland Browns are playing good football is they're realizing Baker Mayfield is not the option at quarterback. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. It just means you have options around the team that are better than just relying on a quarterback. Last season, even though Ryan Tannehill, former A&M quarterback, was really sound for the uh, for the Tennessee Titans. It was Derrick Henry and his rushing ability that eventually kept them in the postseason to beat teams like the New England Patriots and to beat teams like the Baltimore Ravens. You have two running backs, Anaya Smith, who can be an effective pass catcher and a great bull runner in Isaiah Spiller, plus pure speed in Devon Shane, the freshman, to be able to have Mon throw 24 times a game. And if he goes 17 and 24 for 250 yards and two touchdowns, that's enough to win because if you have enough on the ground to win, that's how AM I think is going to win this game upcoming Saturday. They're going to have to rely it on the ground, but it's going to be close. I'm not going to rule that this is going to be going down to the wire just like any other game. The average score between these two is about seven points per game. I'm going to go that they keep it near that with 10. I'm going to go 31 21 as the final. That's a pretty fair prediction. It should be a close game no matter what, man. And I think that that's 
what most fans are going to be enjoying the most. Well, Cole, it was it was good to have you on, man. It was good to do a little cross podcasting here, get a little more insight on the Aggies. Uh, appreciate you coming on with us. Appreciate you to making it happen, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you later down the road. Of course. Make sure you guys are listening to the Locked on Razorbacks podcast and the Locked on Aggies podcast every single day here at LockedOnPodcast.com. Well, appreciate everybody listening into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Google Play. You can also get after me on Twitter at BuzzJohnNavis for any questions, comments, concerns that you may have. We'll keep it going from there. Same podcast time, same podcast channel tomorrow afternoon. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you then. You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. 